Hello, my name is Brandon Boat, and you're listening to the Theater of Public Policy Podcast. Our show today is all about the business of business. We talk about Minneapolis and how's business? Is it booming or does it need a little boost? We had two guests on the show. Our first guest was Jonathan Weinhagen, who is a member of the Mounds View School Board as well as president of the Mounds View School Education Foundation. He's also the president and CEO of the Minneapolis Regional Chamber of Commerce and was formerly the vice president of the St. Paul Area Chamber of Commerce. Our other guest is Steve Kramer who served as the president and CEO of the Minneapolis Downtown Council and the Downtown Improvement District since 2013. Before that, he spent 10 years as the president of Project for Pride and Living, excuse me, and is a former Minneapolis City Council member. We chatted with them about how business is doing in Minneapolis, also looking at what are the cities that we can compare ourselves to, what are they doing that's better than what we're doing, What can we learn from that? What uh, advice could we take in terms of our investment or strategies for problem solving? Um, Yeah, Uh, before we get to the show, though, uh, I want to mention we have a media sponsor this season, MinPost, which provides reader-supported news and analysis. You can find them at www.minpost.com. And we'd also like to thank one of our big sponsors for this season. We received a grant from the Metropolitan Regional Arts Council, which has funds from the Clean Water, Land, and Legacy Amendment. We are greatly appreciative for all the support that they provide. Um, that's everything, so why don't we get to the show? I hope you enjoy it. Thanks. I, I'm very excited. This is very cool. I, I'm very excited to talk to you both. Uh, and there's so many things to talk about. Yes. We, um, we sort of build this show as How's Business in Minneapolis, which is uh, a very sort of uh, obtusely, uh, question, an obtusely vague question. But I actually really am interested in that sort of as a, if you were to give like a report card or a snapshot as representatives of the business community, and therefore you kind of are biased. But uh, tell us, how's business in Minneapolis? Well, you know, business downtown, Tain, is, is, is pretty good. There's been a lot of growth for the last uh, five or six years, five straight years of billion dollar plus development in in the city most of which is downtown and we certainly have some challenges and you're you're uh you're uh right up pointed up a few of them kind of retail issues and public safety and things of that sort but on the whole i think business is pretty good and regionally we should also just say what minneapolis regional chamber so is this is this the beginning of us taking over st louis park or what (laughs) uh yeah okay that's the big announcement tonight. Oh, good. Thank you for doing it on our show. Um, um, so how, is that similar? Downtown regionally is Downtown mirrors? regionally. Unemployment is down. Look up in the sky. There's lots of cranes, lots of construction activity. Um, Minneapolis is booming. So... Uh, so you started to hint at some of the downtown pieces. Like the big piece that uh, a lot of people have wanted uh, us to ask about is like the downtown closure of Macy's. And everybody's sure. talking about that. Sure. Um, so I, I guess just to try and put that into context, how much does that one particular thing matter? You know, I think most people were nostalgic about Dayton's, not so much Macy's. In fact, most people tell me they thought Macy's kind of sucked by the by the time everything was done here. So there's nostalgia about Dayton's, but uh, Dayton's has been gone for a long time, and so the real opportunity is to take that building, which is dramatically underutilized, and 
turn it into a really productive asset for downtown. And I think that's what's going to happen over the next three or four years. What does it look like? What, what, what will it be? It'll be a lot of office because people may, may forget, a lot of folks in this room who, who, who weren't even born then, uh, that that used to be the headquarters of the Dayton Hudson Corporation. There used to be thousands of people who worked on those upper floors, and they've been vacant for years. So the new project will be about 800,000 square feet of creative office, try to continue the in-migration of tech firms and creative firms into downtown. And then they're committed to a basement and two floors of uh, food and retail to help kind of reposition downtown retail. So I think it's going to be a positive for downtown, no question. So you, you say the reposition of downtown uh, retail and whatnot. Uh, I've heard some people suggest that uh, maybe retail downtown isn't as important as we once thought it was. That, you know, maybe once upon a time people like went downtown to go shopping, but we don't really do that anymore. And if downtown has a lot of office workers and a lot of people uh, living there, that's good. That's yeah. fine. Well, I'll give you my take. And then jo Jonathan is right on the wall, too, in his office now. I think retail is still part of the mix of a kind of a multifaceted, vital downtown, along with office, along with residential, along with professional sports, along with entertainment, along with a really vibrant restaurant scene. But it's not the only thing anymore. When I moved to Minneapolis in 1979, there were five department stores on, on Nicollet Mall. Now the last one is closed and it's not coming back. Can you name all five? Uh, probably could. Yeah, Penny's, Donaldson's, Powers, uh, Dayton's, and 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 the Commerce Department. No, that was Rick Perry. <laughs> <laughs> uh, oh, there good. were five. There were five. Uh, uh, we'll just say sure. um, so, uh, like Donaldson's. 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 That was it. Yeah. <laughs> So I think it's I think it's a part of the part of the mix. Uh, Wait, the audience is yeah. Did we forget one? Harold's. All right, all right. All right. Harold's discount underwear. I was promised there'd be uh, no heckling. In this sorry, I, I don't know who promised that. You haven't been to one of our shows. Um, what about you? Is that downtown? Does it matter if downtown is sort of the gravitational center of retail in the city? I think retail looks different today than it did a generation ago. Think about the Mall of America. Think about the Dales all across town. That's where investments in retail have have really kind of been spurred, and we continue to see that. Um, you know, the mall is adding you know, hundreds of thousands of square feet in Bloomington. Um, Rosedale is undergoing a major renovation right now. So I think the the days of coming downtown specifically to shop, to get your suit, to to spend a day um, you know, being entertained, it looks different. But there is certainly an opportunity for the the hundreds of thousands of workers in downtown Minneapolis to to leverage retail in a different way. Um, residential population, Steve, you could yeah. speak to this, that looks you know, stronger than it has in you know, decades. Right. Um, so the retail looks different. And then you add to that you know, the changing retail environment more broadly, right? Mm -hmm. The advent of the internet, thinking about how we procure our goods and services. Um, perhaps you've heard about Amazon. It's a thing. <laughs> we did a um, show on Amazon. Doesn't seem to be going away. Yeah, uh, and I mean, that would, I, I wanna get to, well, Help make the case, I guess, for uh, it, when you're going out to potential businesses, yep. folks looking at relocating. What do you say? Why Minneapolis? Why downtown Minneapolis? Maybe we'll start with why Minneapolis generally. Why Minneapolis generally? World-class community, <clears throat> right? When you look at... Sure, but everybody says that. Yeah, like San Antonio says at, that. Nobody believes it, look. but... Um, <laughs> San Antonio is very nice. <laughs> I'm sure. <laughs> My colleagues at the San Antonio Chamber of Commerce. No, just kidding. Um, Look at us against our peers. Look at the quality of life. Look at our culture, our theater district, highest per capita theater seating outside of New York. I mean, this is a pretty incredible place. It's a place where, you know, 
much to the chagrin of you know a lot of business leaders in this community, um, a fairly high tax environment. But with that comes you know a lot of investment in some of the things that we all enjoy and appreciate. It looks different here than it does in other markets, and I think that you know as much as everybody says it, when you come to Minneapolis, when you come to the MSP region, it's real. It's a very real thing. Yeah, I think downtown, downtowns all across the country are undergoing a renaissance, and Minneapolis is certainly one of those. Uh, I mentioned earlier the in-migration of tech firms. They're attracted downtown because the talent they need to hire is interested in being downtown, not out in a sterile suburban office park. So we've got that going for us along with just the mix of activities. I always say our biggest competitive advantage is the fact that it's not a kind of homogeneous environment. It's really a mix of different people with different motivations and different reasons for being there. And that's part of the the, the magic of a good downtown. And I think we've got a good downtown. So right now, Minneapolis as a region, the Twin Cities as a region is growing at about 6%. Uh, Is that good? Uh, Is that good by your standards, or would you wish it were faster? Certainly wish it was faster, right? You know, we end up on a lot of lists, and we tend to get spoiled, and we're in the top quartile of a list. On this one, we're kind of middle of the pack with regards to to growth, and there's some communities that are eating our lunch. You know, Denver being one that really grinds me when we think about the investments that they've made in their region over the course of the last decade, you know, the same economic decade that we've operated in. Like what, what are some of those? So transit infrastructure is um, probably the, the cornerstone of investment that the Denver market has made. Right. So thinking about what does it look like when you invest four times as much in transit over a decade long period than a market like Minneapolis, St. Paul? Well, it looks like, you know, 12% population growth. Yeah, they also built a brand spanking new airport that people probably have flown in and out of it. It would, for a time, look like maybe it was going to be a white elephant, but it really, I think, has paid off for for them. And and we considered doing that here, and for a lot of good good reasons, decided not to. But I think to Jonathan Jonathan's point, they they made some big bets on infrastructure, and it looks like it's paying off for them as a community. And we're having a hard time getting our, out of our own way on some of those key infrastructure investments. So who, who do you have a sense of, uh, A, who is moving to the, the Twin Cities and whether they're the kinds of people that the businesses you represent need or want, or is there a gap somewhere in there? Uh, you know, we, we just had a forum uh, last week with the High Tech Association with some tech for- firms, and again, that's where a lot of the dynamic growth and employment is downtown, and they are attracting the workers they need, and it's some homegrown talent. We've got a great workforce here. That's one of the things that's always helped undergird our economy, but we, you know, we get our fair share of folks coming in, too. The recruiters always say the hardest thing to do is to get somebody to come here, and the next hardest thing to do is to get them to leave. So part of it is just getting folks and, to ex- experience this community. You know, that's one of the things you're going to hear in your next show right, when you bring yeah. in make an MSP. Yeah. When you think about, I mean, this is a market that is number one in the nation with regards to attracting and retaining guys that look like Steve and I. We're number 14 when it comes to attracting and retaining the exact same talent profile of color. Um, that's a huge challenge that this market faces, particularly as we think about the increasingly diverse nature of our economy. So w- thank you very much for promoing next week's show. But uh, <laughs> but just to that same Does he get paid extra for that? I, he gets a free Finnegan. Okay. You're getting um, paid? Um, so, but that's a really interesting question. I mean, do you – and this is what we're going to talk about next week. But Minneapolis, St. Paul, the region has a challenge in that – we are able to sort of attract a lot of uh, high-talent workers of color, and they, but they don't stay. And so what are the kinds of things that, just briefly, that you, know, you see companies or the people you represent doing to try and change some of that? 
Well, there's a there is a huge in, uh, focus now on inclusivity, on diversity. People uh, and companies recognize that as a as a potential threat to our kind of future economic vitality, and it's sometimes it's it's very mundane things, things that especially I would never think about, like uh, where do you have your hair done if you're an African American woman? I would never think about that, but it's an issue for <laughs> issue for some folks who come to this community. And I it's imagine not part for a of lot their, of African American women, that is, that is an issue. issue. That's it's a thing a that issue. they think about. Exactly right. right. Yeah. But there's not an there's not always an obvious answer because there's not a not a, a support community for some. Uh, people of color who come here as professionals. So and that's the kind of thing that, that folks are really thinking about pretty deeply. And then when we think about corporate relocation, there's lots of people who do this every single day. So thinking about the number of cities that we have here, making sure that we're pointing people in the right direction, right? Because community and culture is a really important and real thing. You know, parking a, a new... Um, relocate into Excelsior might not be the most productive way to help retain them. This is actually, I'm glad you brought up the sort of... But Excelsior is great. It's part (laughs) of the region. We love it. So you mentioned the region, which is actually one of the things I'm very curious, Jonathan, uh, to ask you about. Uh, So you're the head of the Minneapolis Regional Chamber of Commerce, but even within Minneapolis, right, there's like the east downtown, there's the downtown uh, uh, district, there's a northeast chamber of commerce, but then, you know, each of, a lot of the cities have their own chambers of commerce. I, what is the, There's like 175 chambers of commerce. <laughs> at at uh, least. At least. Um, I, does that make your job harder? Like, or does it sort of diffuse the, the capacity of you to speak uniformly as a business community? It certainly dilutes our capacity to speak as a business community. Steve and I talk about this a lot. Um, you know, one of the great questions that we get all the time is where does the downtown council end and the chamber begin you know sometimes we you know step on each other's toes with regards to who's going to lead and who's going to follow oh not to make this awkward but when (laughs) (laughs) okay moving on let's move on (laughs) you know another division that i think is is maybe even more more important to think about is uh, we, we have a pretty similar point of view about what has to happen in minneapolis but then you have the statewide business organizations, and sometimes there's a there's kind of dissonance in, in that relationship and a different point of view about kind of what needs to happen statewide versus what has to happen here in the Twin Cities area to really make the core of the state's economy work really well. So, and this is an interesting juxtaposition, I think, because you know historically people think uh, chamber of commerce and they think uh, probably right of center uh, political uh, energy and whatnot and i think a lot of people would think that probably maybe with the state chamber of commerce in some ways but probably not as much with yeah. the, the 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 last time i saw your face on the front page of the newspaper it was uh, advocating for southwest light rail and more transit and things like that correct every single day uh <laughs> and uh and so why are you a traitor to your people uh, <laughs> I mean, to Steve's point, you know, this region, right, our urban core, downtown Minneapolis, is the center of the state of Minnesota. When we think about the economy, upwards of 60 to 70 percent of our economy lies in the seven-county metro area. Minneapolis is at the heart of that. So we need to protect that investment. And part of that is making investments that look different. Um, When we invest in roads and bridges in greater Minnesota, it's a beautiful thing, and we need to do that, and it's important, just as important as it is to invest in trains and transit in the the metro area yeah you know i i I still obsess about a comment that a representative made about the house transportation bill where she she said yeah it's a it's a a woman so back off over there um she said i i represent thousands of people that are never going to ride on light rail in minneapolis well you know 
there are thousands of miles of highway in this state that I'm never going to drive on. But I don't begrudge investment in that part of our infrastructure. And it's really sometimes hard to know why parts of the state begrudge investing in the region, too. Follow-up question. Why do certain parts of the state begrudge investing <laughs> in... in I, I, and this yeah. is a bigger thing, and we've yeah. talked about this on the show before. I mean, the the divide between sort of... And a lot of people are talking about this from different yeah. perspectives, rural and urban and whatnot. But particularly, there seems to be a vitriol towards yeah. uh, Minneapolis. And where does that come from? Yeah, where does she get her hair done? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I'll, I'll speak to this, and you know, Steve. Well, I'm in trouble on that African American woman thing. I can tell that right now. <laughs> you know, we hear all sorts of anecdotes with regards yeah. to kind of this, you know, urban-rural divide. You know, one of them most recently that I think struck me, and you know, Steve, you can speak to it, is the anecdote around you. Know, you're stealing our kids, right? Yeah. They're leaving the farm. They're coming to the big city, and they're never coming back. Right. Um, you know, I was floored by that. Yeah. I grew up in the suburbs, and you know, it had never struck me that you know, if you grew up on a <laughs> if you grew up on a farm, that your parents would think that you know someday you'll just come back and run the farm, right? Um, so this idea that we're stealing their young people and yeah, it's, it's, it's a, really real. It's, it's really quite, emotional. Quite a visceral reaction that we see over at the legislature. So and at the legislature in particular, because again, if you think about a chamber of commerce or a business group uh, more representing sometimes or, or speaking um, in tandem with a right of center group, I mean that's not true on a lot of the issues that uh, like transit and whatnot, and, and particularly in Minneapolis and St. Paul. So. Uh, where's the disconnect? Do, you, do Republican legislators return your calls? Or, uh... <laughs> you know, um, it, it is it is a challenge, and uh, it's not just people like Jonathan and I who, who kind of represent these business associations. It's some of the top business leaders in the state who, on transit in particular, have articulated a position that just is being ignored uh, summarily by particularly the, the, the kind of caucus in the House that's most extreme on this issue. And we don't know how to break through that, but we got to figure it out. Can I just, I, I don't mean to tell you, but have you tried just money? I mean, it, <laughs> like, I, I, there is a part of me that wonders yeah. if the large business leaders yeah. are really behind this, have they actually said, like, you know, we've got dollars attached to, like, making this happen? Yeah, I, I have no idea who's out in the audience, so I don't know if I'm going to get myself in trouble with this, but... Uh, Nobody listens to this I mean, show. The truth, the, 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 I mean, the truth is those statewide business groups do invest heavily in getting a particular political outcome at the legislature and they had teacher this year they got the Republican House and the Republican Senate and if they don't translate that into and now we think transit is something important for you and to, to pay attention to as opposed to trash and, and eviscerate nothing's gonna change and Jonathan's staying silent on that so wow, I just he's... screwed myself royally <laughs> I can't believe this Steve <laughs> um, uh, other other sensitive yeah. issues uh, <laughs> <laughs> No, this is one that you actually suggested because um, yeah. you uh, you actually uh, wrote something to uh, a minority opinion on uh, whether Minneapolis right. should raise its minimum wage. Oh, the and sick and safe ordinance. Sick yeah. and safe yeah. times, excuse yeah. me. Um, and uh, you said that, no, we shouldn't in, in the city do that. So uh, that's one place where you see maybe the city of Minneapolis uh, moving in a progressive direction and uh, the businesses that you represent uh, moving in a different direction. Uh, a, why did you have that right. position? And then B, sort of, well, what's what's your big idea then if yeah. we're not going to uh, sort sure. of give people sick sure. and think time? You know, I think the big issue for, for us, and, and I, think, I think Jonathan and I are in agreement on this, uh, all of these Minneapolis-only 
mandates and regulations, whether it's sick safe, minimum wage, various regulatory things begin to pile up. And if Minneapolis becomes a singularly costly and complicated place to do business, pretty soon that is going to undermine our economy and in turn kind of mean less economic opportunity for the very folks in our community that need it the most. So that's the underlying issue here. Minneapolis acting on its own as a part, an important part, but only a part of an integrated regional economy. And what are the unintended consequences of that? The argument from folks who promote this would say, uh, Minneapolis is a leader. We're going to lead, and then there are, everyone else is going to realize how good this is, and they'll, they'll follow suit. Well, I think we hear that, right, from the very people who are driving a lot of this conversation. It's If we do it here, it's going to kind of percolate out into our suburbs and into other communities around the metro. In, in the meantime, I mean, Steve really hit on it, this idea of a regional economy. We have a regional economy that operates differently than a lot of other regions. People love to point to Seattle. Seattle's regional economy looks different than ours. Minneapolis is a, a relatively small geography and small population when you put it in the context of the 3.5 million people that make up our MSA, right. which is what we talk about when we're thinking about this regional economy. And if you're positioning one city against other cities in the region, do you want to pick winners and losers, and do you want to put yourself you know, out there as kind of the, on the leading edge of that? And the difference you're saying between here and somewhere like Seattle is that Seattle is a much bigger fish sort of as a city in comparison to its you know, surrounding communities than... We're a state where if one city is great, 30 is even better, right? <laughs> I mean, 87 counties, you know, somebody could probably give you the, the yeah. date on it, but hundreds if not thousands of cities in this state that's a that's a pretty unique deal for our economy yeah of all the cities that have kind of moved in the direction of having these city only mandates seattle being one minneapolis has the by far the smallest percentage of jobs within our boundaries and so if that's one measure of kind of what our percentage of the regional economy is then we're way below seattle san francisco all these cities that have moved in that direction and again it's sort of the unintended consequences i before i took this job i spent a lot of time with an organization that really helped try to get people in the economic mainstream through job training and and you know i think that's a superior strategy get people the education and skills they need and then you don't have to worry about 15 you have to worry about where they can go beyond that because they're on a career track what do you all do in your roles as heads of these organizations then to try and build that more regional focus on raising some of that work? Because that would be, the okay, fine, maybe it's bad, uh, somebody might say, for Minneapolis to do it alone, yeah. but then we should do it on a region. How do we actually build those connections to, to make it happen regionally? Well, we do a lot of that work with our partners. So I spend you know, a lot of time on the phone and in meetings with my colleagues at the St. Paul Area Chamber. I happen to have spent the last seven years working with them, so it makes it a little bit easier. Steve's in many of those meetings. Yeah. So a lot of convening, a lot of bringing people together to have these conversations and really to start looking for a solution outside of some of the regulatory um, ideas that are coming out of our city halls. And Such as? <laughs> I was just going to say, Jonathan is leading an effort to redesign the workforce development yeah. system in the state, which I think would be an excellent topic for one of your future systems. Yes. That's a, that was a joke, a really bad joke. No, oh, wait, <laughs> a joke. Like, I was, I was ready to, I was, when are you available? Um, <laughs> Want to talk about WIOA? <laughs> yes. 
it's a it's a family friendly show. Can we? T- uh, There's a cream for it. Okay. Um, so I'm gonna just move on to another uh, fun time, which is, uh, and I should say, in the second half of the show, we open up to all of you to ask questions of our guests. So please. Uh, start thinking about some of those. But I do want to jump on uh, the the issue of downtown safety and crime sure. has been uh, in the news and actually has emerged as uh, an issue in both city council races and with the mayor's race. Um, uh, so first of all, uh, just can you sort of set the stage for us? Is downtown crime uh, worse recently than it has been previously? Tina, I think there are two ways to answer that. Statistically, downtown is as safe as it's been for many, many years. And most parts of downtown, most times of the day, are are absolutely perfectly safe. But we did have last year in particular a really challenging time on Hennepin Avenue. It was not... Uh, it was not safe, and people didn't perceive it or experience it as safe. And we also have challenges around kind of bar close time. It was just another shooting Sunday morning out on Third Avenue. So there are specific areas where we need to really focus on, and and we are. And I think we've got some strategies in place that are going to make a difference this year. So if you can sort of segment the general case from these specific areas where we really need to focus, then that's kind of how I understand safety downtown. Uh, and I, I've heard. Uh, I've heard it said, you know, you're probably safe downtown unless you're on very particular places at two o'clock in the morning or whatnot. But if you're there, then that's problematic it potentially. Could be a challenge. Yeah. Uh, so last week you were both at an event with Mayor Hodges and uh, at least one city council member and some other folks uh, with a plan that is going to roll out. Uh, and be uh, active throughout the summer in trying to address some of this. What is that plan, and, and uh, how do you tell us why we should be excited about it? So I'll I'll defer to Steve on a lot of the plan because much of the innovation in this space is coming out of the downtown improvement district, which he is also president and CEO right. of. Wears a couple of hats up here, um, but some key highlights are you know get out early, right? You know things are warming up. It launched over the weekend. And then, I mean, if you want to start talking about some of the the specific activation strategies. Yeah, so it's a combination of uh, more law enforcement presence. We think, you know, law enforcement is an important part of this. Effective policing is an important part of it, but it's not the only thing. So there's more law enforcement. There's more outreach. Some of our safety ambassadors are posted on Hennepin Avenue during the commuter hours just to have a constant presence on those key blocks. Uh, A ton of outreach. We're bringing Summit Academy, OIC, a great job training program into downtown to help connect with young young men who you know may be interested in educational and in employment training opportunities, and then activation strategies make Hennepin Avenue a really inviting place to come and do interesting things. And I think the combination of all those strategies we think is going to make a difference. And as Jonathan said, get it out early, set a tone early, so that it just is a different place than it turned out to be last year. And, and a few legislative strategies as well right. that we're working on with a number of our groups. Um, you know, putting some of the tools back in the toolbox for law enforcement. Right with regards to responding to some activities, geographic boundaries, which are really riveting, and I'm sure that everybody who's had a cocktail or two would love to hear about them. A really important tool that was taken away a number of years right. ago, and we're working collectively to see if we can't get that restored. Just what does that mean? The, you can, Where police officers have jurisdiction? You can or? actually restrict... Um, yeah. Do you have a, like a 30-second yeah. way to yeah. capture so, it? So, so the, the courts have the ability or have had the ability, and we're trying to yeah. restore it, to for a repeat offender who kind of re, does repeat, 
repeat offenses in a given geography to restrict that individual from that geography. You can't be between these blocks and these blocks. On the the theory that if you're there, you're likely to repeat that behavior. It also opens the door to introducing resources that might help that individual with whatever is underlying that conduct. And sometimes it's mental illness or chemical dependency. So if we can get to that, then it helps that person. It also stops the recidivism. But the, the first thing is, hey, you can't be in this area because you're just making it miserable for everybody else. Uh, a very intrepid reporter uh, found recently that 50 years ago, uh, when downtown was trying to deal with some uh, crime issues, uh, the, the Minneapolis Chamber of Commerce <laughs> held a, had a party where they gave women large hat pins and literally I'm not make this is not a joke like literally you gave uh, folks hat, women hat pins and you said you can take this out of your hat and if someone is assaulting you you can stab them with it <laughs> and I'm just one and that was a real thing and I think that you the story said that you gave out more than 200 of these to women in Minneapolis I think we charged 50 cents for you them. charged 50 cents so you didn't really care about their safety um, but uh, but have you thought about this like in a more modern sense? Like you could have like like a, a taser hat that you just or I, I have it on fairly good authority that Steve and his team have ordered a case of <laughs> a, a tasers of case tasers. of tasers. Yeah, yeah. 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 I, I can't. I can either confirm nor deny that. <laughs> I love just the idea of the Chamber of Commerce telling people like take the law into your own hands downtown. <laughs> Um, it's the Wild West out here, folks. But please, shop in our stores. <laughs> we have eight We have eight stores. All right. Um, uh, so with that, uh, we are going to bring our guest back in the second half of the show to answer your questions. But until then, please, a big round of applause. Right. If you have a question, please raise your hand, and I will race towards you in a polite manner. All right. Yes. Doesn't have a. So what about Macy's? Oh, what? Yes, Do you want Steve, to, uh, what about Macy's? What about Macy's? That's the that, name of my new punk band. Yeah. yeah. Uh, that's Tommy Anderson, the general counsel for the airport. He promised me he wouldn't answer that, ask that question. So thanks a lot, Tom. No. I, you know, I, I think these guys nailed it in their improv routine. I mean, if you had to think about a business model that was on the way out, it's a department store, right? I mean, if you're going to shop for underwear, you're going to do it online, I think. If you're going to try to have an experience, you're going to go to a different kind of retail than we had at Macy's at, at the end. So I think that's what we're going to see is more kind of a uh, smaller shops, um, maybe a couple of, you know, brand kind of retail uh, um outlets in that in that really big space uh, mixed with some smaller shops and a really cool food concept and i think that's what we're gonna we're gonna see along with as i said earlier a ton of new office so it's it's a great opportunity for the city and again we're nostalgic a lot of people are nostalgic about dayton's but as we look forward it's it's a great opportunity uh, I have a question in the front, but uh, are, if there are questions up there, you got to raise your hand so that I can I know that they're there. Okay, good. I'm going to come back this way. I have a question you guys talked about, about job training and the minimum wage. I mean, we're seeing a change in the job market where we're having a, a glut of middle skill jobs going away, where there's lots of no skill, like I shouldn't say no skill, but lower skilled jobs, I say that in quotes, and high skilled jobs. So when you talk about job training and education as a way for people to succeed more, I mean, we even have seen this with the bachelor's degree, where we have more and more people becoming getting a bachelor's degree, where a bachelor's degree 
in some ways has replaced a high school degree. So if, if we keep racing towards more and more training and everyone has the same training and skills, how do we bring people up if we're just ultimately, you know, for so long in capitalism we've done, you know, value of work based on skills, but if we're automating so many skills, how do we attract jobs in this area that will be lasting and can value both people with high skill and quote unquote low skills? <laughs> well, I, I think you've hit on a number of things there. You know, I'll point to the you know, the cultural phenomena of the bachelor's degree. Let's talk about that a little bit. You know, we've spent the last 40 years telling every kid who's graduating from one of our K-12 institutions that their future is going to get a liberal arts degree or some sort of you know higher education. Um, Today, that looks different. So to some extent, it's a, a new social contract with our next generation, our kids, talking about what does that investment in education look like, and maybe it looks different today. It's one of the things my wife and I, who have four young kids, talk about every day is, you know, is a four-year degree, like we went and got, the exact same thing that we want to instill in our kids. So a piece of the equation is really preparing our culture for a future that might look different than it has previously. And then you make a really good point with regards to, you know, the changing market, um, you know, the automation of some things. Uh, some of those middle skill jobs are evaporating. They're going away. It's why it's even more important for this market to attract as many of those opportunities as, as we can as we go through what is kind of an adaptation and we evolve into you know, a next generation economy. I would just add to that one thing that employers can do is take a really critical look at what their job qualifications are. Uh, there, there are a lot of jobs that require uh, a level of education that really isn't necessary to, to do the job effectively. And you know, one thing that some employers are starting to do is really looking at that, kind of ripping up their job qualifications, saying, what does this job really require? And it might not be a, a four-year degree or even a two-year degree. It might be a professional certificate from a Minsk institution, which is much more accessible to a lot of the folks that we're talking about here. So this kind of career laddering strategy where you, where you combine the resources of community agencies, uh, kind of post-secondary education, but not necessarily a two- or four-year degree with an employer who has a need for uh, that workforce is, is, a, is a path forward, I think, for a lot of folks in our community. Okay, we had another one back here. Hi. Um, what are your thoughts on gentrification and um, rising renting prices and housing? Steve, what are your thoughts <laughs> on gentrification and rising housing costs? Um, you know, it's it's a big challenge. I, it, the job I had before I took the job at the downtown council was with a nonprofit called Project for Pride and Living, which did a lot of affordable housing. So I have a, a, a great uh, sensitivity to how, how big a challenge that is. Uh, on the other hand, as I look at the kind of uh, housing investment that we've seen in downtown, which is basically market rate housing, uh, pure pure private investment, <clears throat> I don't see any reason to step in, in front of that and not have that happen. Uh, I think what we have to do is really identify the strategies that are going to allow us to kind of broaden, broaden housing choice. We can invest in uh, high affordable housing that takes a lot of basically public subsidy, and we've got a pretty good market rate situation right now. It's that middle space that we haven't figured out the right ways to support the development community to, to create more of that product, and that's what we've got to do. And I would just add that we have to continue to call the question around gentrification. I spent, again, the last seven years working in the St. Paul community. The Rondo neighborhood is one that we pointed to um, you know, very deep wounds in that community divided by a freeway. So making sure that we're engaging community in the process, that, that we're having those conversations, and that we're constantly calling the question. 
Okay, we got a question over here. And I'll apologize because I don't know our the specific Chamber of Commerce's policy on this, but um, you know I know that there's an upcoming action in Congress to potentially repeal the potential for state-sponsored IRA for people that don't already have uh, access to retirement savings, and from what I've heard, that has been opposed, or that's been something that the Chamber of Commerce has been opposed to the state-funded IRA programs, and I wonder if we if our Chamber of Commerce has a policy on that or could explain why they'd be opposed to those programs. Yeah, so it sounds to me that you're talking about some federal legislation, and yes. while we do engage in some issues that are related to you know, federal legislation, it's very limited, so um, I can't speak to any degree of sophistication on what you're talking about. I, I can't either. I'm sorry. <laughs> All right, good one. Uh, so... Uh, <laughs> Awesome. Uh, no, I'm going to come to That's good. We love our, our audience. Has very smart questions. Too yeah. smart sometimes for the people on stage. All right, here we go. So I appreciate that you're considering um, making downtown Minneapolis more attractive. Um, one thing I find not very attractive are the way too many strip clubs. Yeah. And I really think that contributes to crime. What can you do about that? Yeah, yeah. Um, well, so I dealt with that when I was a member of the Minneapolis City Council as well. And, you know, I, I wish that, I, I wish it were possible simply to kind of make that particularly land use go away. There, there really isn't possible. It, it is uh, kind of a protected activity uh, under a history of court cases. <clears throat> what cities can do and what Minneapolis has done to some degree in St. Paul as well is try to limit the geography where that particular activity uh, occurs, uh, but there's just no magic bullet solution to make it make it go away. I mean, if there are a way to dry up the demand, that would make it go away as well. But uh, apparently, that's not something that we've been able to do as a society. So. Um, maybe there's a, a strategy there we can employ. And I would add that you start to leverage the regulatory environment yeah. and the options that are available. The city council right now is, yes. you know, kind of ratcheting down on, you know, some of the public health concerns right. that are out there. So I think, you know, continue to do that. Exactly. And, uh, you know, we'll at a minimum have a safer environment. Yeah. Can I ask a, a – oh, sorry, go ahead. Yeah. John, do you want to just grab the microphone just so that we can actually? I'm just, I'm just curious. Can we flush out, like, because to me, I'm equating strip club with bad neighborhood, right? Mm. And uh, I don't know. I know I know strippers, and I've never heard them feel like they're in an industry where there's a lot of crime. There's a lot of other issues, but I just heard that as framed as strip clubs, not safe, dangerous. You know what I mean? Can we just flush that out a little bit? Because I understand there's regulations put in place and there's ways that the city can kind of combat it if the city doesn't want strip clubs everywhere but to me that just read like oh there's strip clubs that's going to make my city dangerous that's going to you know i just want is part of is it so trying to flesh are there good strip clubs and bad strip clubs or i don't know amsterdam seems to be doing all right <laughs> uh well and as part of what you're saying is is the areas where the strip clubs are located is that where all the for example, you said there's a shooting Sunday morning. Is that what's right? We, I mean, we are a rare, maybe to put, put a point on it, we are kind of a rare place where we have almost a strip club district right. in our downtown, right? Well, uh, and that, in fact, that is sort of the strategy that is permissible under 
kind of the, the case law that you can create sort of geographic areas, but you can't simply eliminate it as a land use. And that's effectively what's happened in downtown Minneapolis. And I, I would just say to your, your point, the, the city council, and Jonathan mentioned this, did look at a study that the Center for Urban and Regional Affairs did recently about that industry. And it, you know, it, it found that there is certainly exploitation of some of the, right. of the workers. Uh, but on the other hand, some said, hey, this is just a way that I earn some income. So um, uh, again, it's not my cup of tea. It's not something we highlight as a key attribute of downtown Minneapolis, but it's not something we can snap our fingers and make go away either. Yeah. Okay, and I understand the study is very hard to like gauge because like who's who's a stripper out there that's going to be like I'll tell the truth. Yeah, yeah. you know, like that's a yeah. hard thing okay. to really. <laughs> right, right. I appreciate your your raising that about the clubs, and also thank you for citing the the U Rock study. Yeah. Um, one thing though, think about um, the baseball games and families get off of light rail. They're walking there with their little boy and their little girl, and they're walking by these clubs. What does it say to little boys who want to address demand? Yeah. What does it say to little girls about what's in their future? So I think it's about looking at the environment. As a father of two daughters, I can't disagree. But again, I, there's no magic solution just to make that land use go away. Okay, uh, we got a bunch of hands. Sorry. So, uh, yeah. Um, so a little bit earlier you talked about um, how there are many different communities, or I should say cities um, and counties within the state of Minnesota. Um, it also seems like there are just many different organizations um, that kind of have this um, attempt at improving communities, and it's very competitive. Um, I'm sort of wondering, uh, are we ever going to see some city and municipal consolidation? Uh, might there be a combined Minneapolis-St. Paul at some point? <laughs> like, as the cities themselves? Yes. Well, maybe we, maybe we could start with a combined Minneapolis-St. Paul Chamber of Commerce. But. Yeah, or I mean, just a, another comment would be like, Richfield is a lot like South Minneapolis in a lot of ways. Why are they separate cities? I, you raise, Would you like to announce any annexations while you're here? <laughs> this just in, right? Um, you raise a really good question. Um, you know, land of 10,000 lakes, land of 10,000 nonprofits, land of 10,000 cities, and organizations that do the kind of work that we do. Um, recently, some conversations around, you know, my counterparts in St. Paul and the Minneapolis Regional Chamber potentially coming together um, following some leadership transition, you know, got kind of, you know, progressed in those conversations and, you know, fell flat based on leadership. So there's a lot of emotion when it comes to these discussions. Every time you're dealing with a city council, you're dealing with an elected body that would ultimately have to put themselves out of business. Um, so we do see some consolidation. We saw the United Ways come together. We've seen the Wise come together. Catholic Charities come together. Um, you know, I don't see the, the chambers coming together in the near term. I think the downtown council spun out of the chamber a number of years ago, so we're just as at fault as anybody else. <laughs> right. Yeah, I, I don't. I don't. I think the the consolidation of institutions of some government functions across jurisdictions. That's. I think that's ripe territory. There are a number of things, for instance, that Minneapolis does that Hennepin County does, and they ought to do them together. And they've made some progress on that with the library system as an example, but there are many other opportunities. So that's probably the more productive way to go in that area. Okay, I got a hand here and then so we've got the Super Bowl coming here. Maybe you want to make some comments about what the plans are. I'm, I'm interested if there are any proactive plans to tap down on the prostitution and other nefarious things that are often associated with the Super Bowl. Yeah, so both Steve and I serve on the Super Bowl host advisory committee. Um, a lot of discussion around sex trafficking. 
Um, you know, I think they made fun of our task forces earlier, but um, there is a, a group that is really looking at this aggressively. Minnesota tends to be kind of a, a hub for sex trafficking. It's something that we're certainly very concerned about with regards to our hospitality environment. So we're looking at that really closely, working with law enforcement, working with you know folks in Homeland Security and you know national groups that um, are really committed to making sure that this doesn't become a breeding ground for sex trafficking um, as we showcase this region to the world. Can I ask, uh, just as a, the, maybe the, the flip side of that, though, you know, there's also been a lot of questions about we're bringing the Super Bowl, uh, the, is it the X Games and the NCAA, the uh, Final Four, Final right. Four right. all of those. I mean, that's very exciting on one level. I, a lot of people would push back and say, well, why – you know, so what? Uh, what, <laughs> what does that do for us, I guess? You know, we're yeah. on ESPN for uh, a couple of days. Uh, is it worth the investment for yeah. all of that? Well, I, I look at it in a, in a couple of different different ways. Uh, one, if you just apply kind of pure microeconomic theory, Super Bowl, X Games, NCAA, Final Four doesn't create any new wealth in the country or the world. But for us, it does concentrate a level of expenditure that wouldn't be here otherwise. I mean... You know, on February 4th, 2018, but for the Super Bowl, we're not going to have a million people running around the Twin Cities. So, you know, from that kind of narrow parochial standpoint, I think these events do, in fact, have a positive economic impact while acknowledging they don't kind of create new wealth like, you know, innovation and things of, things of that sort that fuel long-term economic growth for our, for our communities and for our country. So that that's one way to look at it. The other thing is it does, you know, it does create some cachet for our region. I, I don't think there's any question about it. Uh, if we do a good job putting these events on, then I think tourism is going to go up and, and the prospects of, of folks thinking about Minneapolis-St. Paul a little bit differently than they did before is, is, is pretty high. So I think that's real, too. I would expand on that and say, you know, there's a lot of folks that think that, you know, Minneapolis-St. Paul is flyover territory or that we're an igloo with a Fortune 500 company on top of it. So the opportunity to, to really showcase this market to talent across the world, you know, 114,000 worker shortfall by 2020. That's something that the organizations that we represent are, are watching every day as they're planning their, you know, five- and ten-year plans. Wait, can you say that last stat one more time? 114,000 worker shortfall by 2020. Why? Why is that? You know, it's a combination of things. I mean, the the quote unquote silver tsunami. We've got a, a massive generation that is poised to exit the market. We've got you know net migration. That's such a that's right? such a diplomatic way. To, <laughs> to There's say a lot that. of people that are going to die, Tane. <laughs> okay, thank you, sir. Anyway, and so that's part of it. And uh, the abattoir is set up. Um, <laughs> Uh, so is that is that is that the extent of it, or is there some other leading cause? Well, there's the it? other right net migration piece. We are losing talent to other markets. You know, Portland, Denver, Salt Lake City; those are all markets that are attracting more of. You, know, you think Greater Minnesota thinks we're stealing their kids? You know, the rest of the country, major markets are stealing ours. Okay, right here. Feel free to dispute the premise of this, but it doesn't seem like there's a lot of regional coordination of job centers and the relocation and expansion of businesses. Usually you see it buried in a story about some tax increment financing deal that probably made all the difference from city to city when these things are being figured out. You know, Should we be doing more in that area, clustering, what have you? And what do other metro areas do uh, when, they, when it comes to this question? 
Absolutely. So there's more coordination happening today than there ever has been. Um, Greater MSP is our new regional economic development partnership. It's spun out of the chamber and groups like ours about five or six years ago. So a lot of intentionality in that space. Other markets have, you know, a 10, 20, 30 year head start on us. So we're just, we're kind of new to the game with regards to, you know, a well-coordinated effort with regards to attracting um, companies and investments here. To your point about clustering, absolutely. We see some of that here. It has happened organically. You know, we've got a, a medical device cluster um, that exists in a couple of spaces. Um, increasingly, Steve touched on it a little bit, kind of a technology incubator in, in downtown and in our urban core. Uh, so that's definitely a strategy that we're looking at. We're just a little late to the game. So uh, last kind of big question here is just we've touched on politics and we've touched on uh, people from other parts of the country thinking about coming here or whatnot. Uh, when you all are thinking, if you all had, you know, your hands on the levers to make certain things happen in the Twin Cities to actually uh, – take us up to where we're uh, beating Denver, or at least competing with places like that, and we're uh, on par with somewhere like Seattle in terms of uh, attracting and retaining millennials and people of color. What are the things that the Twin Cities is not doing right now that we really should be doing? That's <laughs> <laughs> helpful. I... I... <laughs> I was going to say, you know, <laughs> we need an ocean and we need some mountains, but that's probably about as uh, You know, with enough of that, need, you can right? get those. Exactly. Um, right. But, right. Um, <laughs> no, I, I, you know, I think to me it goes back, to, and it's going to be hard to compete with that weed <laughs> that thing, but to me it goes back to this investment in our you know, underlying infrastructure. Transit is a key to that, but... You know, public institutions, we don't have a lot of great attractions in downtown for, you know, uh, families as an example. There's some in St. Paul, which is great. Uh, so it just does kind of the sense of we're in a good position. Uh, we're, we're strong. You know, we're leading the upper Midwest. Big deal in growth. But uh, we have an opportunity to be even more than that. And we just haven't aligned our kind of political priorities around kind of taking that next step, and infrastructure is a big part of that, in my opinion. I think what Steve is saying is we have to get our shit together. <laughs> we have to come together. Truly, we have to come together yeah. as a market. We've touched on yeah. it a little bit. We've got a lot of organizations that are pulling in all sorts of different directions. Yeah. We have to figure it out. It's incumbent upon Steve. <laughs> I'll help. <laughs> on that uh, generous, uh, generous note, uh, please, a tremendous round of applause for our two terrific guests. Uh, Thank you for listening. This entire season was supported by the Metropolitan Regional Arts Council and the Legacy Amendment. This show was recorded live at the Bryant Lake Bowl in Minneapolis. If you'd like to see an upcoming show, you can find out more information by going to our website at www.t2p2.net. You can also find out about upcoming shows by finding us on social media, either on Facebook, Twitter, or signing up for our email list. We hope to see you sometime soon. Thanks.